together. If you're able to stand, would you do so at this time? We're looking at John chapter 13. Notice the scripture says in verse 1, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own, which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Help us, Father, as we look into this passage of Scripture. We need your help and your blessing. And I pray that you'd speak to every heart this this morning. And Lord, this is just one of those practical lessons that you taught us at a difficult time, we might say, in your life while you were on this earth. But Father, I pray that none of us would miss it this morning. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You must be willing to take the unwanted tasks in order to serve others. In everything that you and I do, there are some tasks that are more fun than others. When I was a boy growing up, my dad had a roofing business, and there were certain tasks that everybody wanted on the roof job. Okay, For example, everybody wanted, first thing in the morning, everybody wanted to grab a tear-off tool. Now, every job that you do on a roof is painful. The only thing you can do when when you're working on a roof is hope to somehow distribute the pain evenly around your body so that sometimes your toes will be in pain, but your knees will get a break. Then you give your toes a break, and your knees will hurt. And then you will give uh, your, your legs a break, and then your back will hurt. And on and on it goes. And so you just try to distribute the pain evenly around your body, and hopefully then the job will be done, and uh, you can go home and collapse and just hope to recover in the night just to do it all over again the next day. 
You know, come to think of it, no wonder my dad told me, son, whatever you do, don't be a roofer. But at any rate, I was working on the job in those days. There were certain tasks that everybody wanted. Everybody wanted a tear-off tool because eventually, depending on the pitch of the roof, you had something else that was coming in contact with the dirt, the debris, and the, the, everything that was going on. The job that nobody wanted was to go down and pick up all that debris and carry it into the truck and throw it into the truck. That's the job nobody wanted. And then, even worse than that, was the job of cleaning up the ground. Nobody wanted to clean up the ground. I mean, they would, we would do everything we could. to. Sometimes we would build chutes off the roof so that the, all the debris, or most of it anyway, could fall harmlessly into the truck. But nobody wanted to clean up the ground. It was just an awful task. And there were certain jobs that we, were just, that, that we just knew. Everybody wanted this job. Then we had the Hispanic workers come on later on, and uh, they were really good at choosing the shady side of the roof. That's where they would go first thing. They thought they had everybody fooled. We knew what they were doing. We knew that they weren't nearly as hardworking as they uh, pretended to be. They would always go to the shady side of the roof. And uh, the, the point of it was there were some tasks that people enjoyed doing and there were some tasks that people didn't enjoy doing. I'm going to tell you something. In the ministry, there are times when you're not going to get a choice. You're not going to be able to choose between the task that you enjoy doing and the task that you do not enjoy doing. Now here is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and He took the job that nobody wanted. And yet He did so as an example to you and to me. Now I want to ask you something. Are you known for being a servant? Are you known for being a servant? I'm going to look at this passage three very simple ways. I want you to consider, first of all, the setting. Because as John is giving this, this narrative here, he spends a lot of time setting the stage, if you will, and dressing the set. Notice several things about this setting. It begins in verse 1. We've read it. But let's revisit it now, if we may. I want you to notice, first of all, he speaks of a departure. Notice verse 1. The Bible says, now, before the Feast of the Passovers, here it is, when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. So what does this mean? Well, we know that everything that Jesus has dealt with has, had to, has been touched by sin. He came into a family that was touched by sin. He came into a ministry where every person that he encountered had been touched by sin. But do you realize the day or the hour specifically when all of that is going to end, it's coming very soon. He will soon ascend up to his father. He will soon lead captivity captive. He will soon do all of those things that happened when he was crucified on the cross. That hour has come. Do you understand? Jesus doesn't have much time for this world, but for you and for me, while we would assume that's a little bit of an uneasy thing, we think, oh man, I don't have much time for this world. What am I going to do? No, that in the mind of our Savior, it had to be a glorious thing. I don't have much time left before I depart this veil of tears in this world of sin. I don't know about you, but when I'm fixing to go on, a, on an exciting trip, I get pretty worked up about it. One of the most exciting trips that I go on today is when I go deer hunting on the opening day of the season. That's, that's one of the most exciting trips that I take. It's not as long as many of the trips that I take. Maybe that's why I'm excited about it. I don't know. But, uh, and uh, you know, if you're going deer hunting, depending on where you are, you have to put on every stitch of clothing that you own. 
and you have to wake up at 3.30 in the morning and you have to drive a long ways and you have to climb up into a deer stand and hope the wind is not blowing because if you're 25 feet off the ground and whatever you're anchored to is doing this, I'm just going to tell you, it's a wild time. And you think, i got to shoot straight and I'm doing this. What in the world is going to... Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that go into it. But then you go out there and that, that, I, to me, that's an exciting day. I mean, tomorrow we're going to get to go deer hunting. Tomorrow maybe the big one's going to step out. Now, usually for me of late, nothing has stepped out. Big, little, doesn't matter. Nothing has stepped out. And so uh, that, uh, this is the first year I haven't taken a deer and I can't tell you how many years. But uh, uh, all of that notwithstanding, it'll still be an exciting day when I depart. And many times I, I don't sleep the night. I don't sleep all night long because I'm afraid that I will sleep through my alarm when it goes off at 3.30. So here's how it happens. I get up at 3.30. I drive an hour and a half or two hours or however far it is. I get up in the tree and I can finally relax and I fall asleep <laughs> in the tree 25 feet above the ground. All right. Now, I don't think our Lord had any of the issues that I have, but there must have been at least something to the fact that I'm about to depart this sinful world and go to my father. But evidently that realization had no impact on what he was about to do. Notice something else about the setting. The Bible not only speaks of a departure in verse 1, but it speaks of a devotion in verse 1. The Bible says, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. This is an amazing statement to me because from other, other gospels we understand. It was around this time, it wasn't long after this time, that the disciples had a discussion. Lord, you're fixing to die the most cruel death ever, but which one of us is going to be the greatest? You talk about bad timing, Okay. But that's what they were talking about. You know, evidently, none of that bothered our Savior because John makes it very plain in this passage of Scripture, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. There was not a time when their behavior so grated on him that he ceased loving them. There was not a time when their impertinent questions so, so uh, messed him uh, uh, up in his mind that he ceased loving them. And this, what we're about to read, is an example of his further devotion. I mean, he didn't have devotion up to a point and then had to disengage and say, okay, you're on your own now. I've got bigger things to deal with. I've got more important sheep to fleece. I need to, come to focus on saving the entire world. No, that's not what he did. Having loved his own which were in the world, the Bible says, he loved them unto the end. Can I tell you, all of these things you will face in ministry. There will be times when you will be given a choice between doing what I want to do to get some rest or to get some preparation for a big time ahead, or am I going to continue to show love to the people that God has given me to reach? You're going to have to be called upon to make those decisions. And I'm going to tell you, you have the opportunity now to begin preparing yourself for a life of service to God by serving other people. The setting is very important here. In the setting, we read of a departure. In the setting, we read of his devotion. I want you to notice number three. When we're talking about the setting, we also read about the devil. We read about some opposition. Notice verse, verse two. Supper being ended, the Bible says, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Oh, this blows my mind. 
The Lord Jesus is about to take the lowliest room. He's about to take the most menial job, the job that nobody else wants, even though he knows one of these people is fixing to betray me for 30 pieces of silver. Can I just help you today? When you go from this place out into ministry, there are going to be times when you have to minister to people and you may know that they're actively working against you. I'm not going to pretend that that's easy. But I also will not deny that ministering to them anyway is Christ-like. Because here was this traitor, Judas Iscariot, the devil. The Bible says the devil put it in his heart. And what did he do? He listened to the devil. He paid attention. He said, this sounds like a good idea. I'm going to go to the chief priests and the scribes. We're going, to, we're going to take care of this thing. So that's what he had done. If we're talking about the setting here. It's an amazing thing. We talk about the departure. It's in verse 1. We read of Jesus' devotion. It's in verse 1. We read of, a, of, of the devil. It's in uh, verse 2. I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. Now, that's an amazing thing. It, we've read of the departure. We've read of the devotion and the devil. Now it speaks about this destiny. He says, look, I came from God. And Jesus realizes. He knew it. He knew it at the time. He realized he came from God. And he realized, I don't have much longer here. I'm fixing to go back to God. So there's a sense in which whatever I do here... ah. Uh, you know, what does it really matter? I'm, I'm just, I'm about to leave. I'm about to go someplace else. Now, I know what that's like. Uh, not, too mu- not too many weeks ago, I was in the Dominican Republic. In my hometown of Mississippi, it was one degree Fahrenheit. They had, I think it was six, six to eight inches of snow. And then on top of that, just to preserve it a little longer, the Lord sent freezing rain. So they had all of that. And uh, while, they were, while they were worried about pipes freezing and all of that, I would wake up in the morning and stretch. Oh, it's cool this morning. Uh, 67. Wow. Okay. Well, it'll get warm, though. It'll be 90 before the day is out. That's where I was. I enjoyed it. We had a great time. But you know, as I'm packing up to leave, my mind goes less and less on where I am and more and more onto where I'm going. That's the way my mind works. And I think maybe John is highlighting this to tell us Jesus had all of these things in his mind. He knew that he was come from God and he knew it's only a matter of hours. He's going to be back with God. And yet none of that impacted what he was about to do. If Jesus could serve others under these circumstances, so can we under any circumstances. That's what the setting tells us. I want you to notice the service that he performed. Number two, the service. Notice he, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. This is a little bit unusual for you and for me, but this is the kind of thing that uh, happened here in, in, the, in, in this time. You understand that uh, they didn't have shoes like we have. Uh, they had sandals and everything was, uh, everything was just really different and all of that. And th- their feet would get dirty and muddy and you understand all of that. So they had the most menial slave, okay? You just came on as a slave last month. Guess what? You get to lay aside your garments, put on the towel and wash dirty feet. 
Oh, this guy's been here two years. He gets to serve the meal, but not you. You're serving, you're, you're, you're washing feet. That's just the way it was. So now the Lord Jesus does that. Verse 5, after that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, I can't imagine this. It was something that, that really spoke to these people. The Bible says Jesus is now scrubbing the feet. Let me tell you something. I ain't touching your feet. I ain't touching them. And you can come to me and say, well, Brother Paul, I just got a bath. I just got a shower. Whatever. No, no, no. You can touch your own feet. I ain't touching your feet. But that's not the attitude of the Son of God. Now, there's a little bit cultural differences here. We understand that. But notice the Bible says, he was wiping them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. Simon Peter got what was going on. Look what he said. He said, Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Simon is protesting, okay? Don't, let, let's, not, let's not run him through the mill. He understands what's going on. He says, Lord, this is not right. We have believed, I mean, Simon Peter was the one who confessed back in Matthew chapter 16 when, when asked, whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter said, thou art the Christ. What does it mean? Thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I mean, one day every knee is going to bow to you and, and one day you're going to rule and reign on this earth and the lion's going to lay down with the lamb and all of that. Lord, you're the Messiah. Lord, you are to be praised. You are to be exalted. You're the King. And, ah, Lord, Lord, Dost thou, no, 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 dost thou wash my feet? This cannot be. That's what Simon Peter is saying. And the Bible says in verse 7, Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Let me just tell you, if you get into a pastorate somewhere, men, and the longer you serve God, the more you will come back to this portion of Scripture where Jesus said, you don't understand it now, but in the coming days you will. Because you're going to, you're going to pour yourself into people and you're going to be called upon to do things that are just, they're just, ah, they're, they're not fun tasks, but they're all a part of serving People. And can I tell you this? It doesn't matter what kind of a preacher you are. If you aren't also a servant, you'll short-circuit your ministry. It doesn't matter what kind of a leader you are, what kind of a teacher you are. What kind, you're going to have to learn to serve. All of us are going to have to learn to serve. That's the point of what Jesus was saying. He said, Simon, you don't understand this. And I under, I, I'm... Jesus is, giving, is working with him, if you will. He says, I get that you don't understand this, but just trust me on this. Hereafter, there's going to come a day when you will understand. So the Bible says, Jesus, uh, Peter saith unto him in verse 8, Thou shalt never wash my feet. The Lord, this is not right. You have a position of rank and power, and, and, and uh, this is not right that you come and you, you stoop to wash my feet. Lord, it's not right. I'll wash my own feet. I'll have, I'll have, I don't know, James or John do it or Bartholomew. I don't care who, but not you, Lord. So the Lord is, is just helping to correct him. And he, Jesus said, and Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Ah, uh, okay. 
well, I want my part to be with you, Lord. And if, if, washing, if you washing me, it makes me have a part with you, well then, don't stop with my feet. That's what he says. Look at it, look at it right here in verse 9. Simon uh, Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. He said, all, all, we're, just, we're, just, we're trying to teach a lesson here. Just rein it in, Bubba. Okay, calm down a little bit. Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to teach you something. And then he said, ye are clean, but not all. And then we have this commentary in verse 11. This is what Jesus meant. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he, therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Isn't that interesting? So in one verse, Jesus says, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And yet, a couple verses later, we find out there's somebody that already doesn't have a part with him, but he's going to get his feet washed too. Let me just give you an example, something that happened in my ministry years ago. Brother Ogle will remember this. I was, I was a member of Emmanuel Baptist Church at the time, and uh, we decided, he decided really, and he decided we're going to have a back-to-school uh, youth meeting with some, several of the young people. In those days, we, the, the building, if you, go, if you know anything about Emmanuel Baptist Church, the building that is now the office complex, that was, that was an auditorium in those days. It was used on Wednesday night. Um, uh, we, we met in, in the, uh, the other building on Sunday. But anyway, that was our Wednesday night auditorium, and that's where the, the young people were gathering for this particular meeting. Well, Wednesday night was a little bit unusual for the young people because it was as if they were seated in a stadium somewhere, and all the adults were the spectators around them in a seminar circle. A little bit different for them. But nevertheless, I preached the gospel and uh, we, didn't, we didn't see anything really happen that night. But then Thursday came and man, that was just the teenagers in there. Maybe they were a little bit more comfortable. I don't know. But I do know this. While some teenagers were getting on the bus, someone sneaked in unawares. Now here's what I mean by that. This little dude was, I don't know, 10. I don't know how old he was. Maybe nine. But you understand if you have teenagers who weigh 140 pounds playing a game. It's not a good idea for the little 10-year-old that weighs 60 pounds to be in on the same game. It's not good, okay? Because the teenagers that are 140 pounds, they just got to 140 pounds a month ago, and they don't yet understand, bam, I can hurt somebody by clobbering them. Okay? Don't blame the teenagers. They're still learning. They're still working their way through it. Some of you just got over 100 pounds last month. I remember the day when I got over 100 pounds at 25 years of age. It was a wonderful day. <laughs> but this little dude decided he was going to come to the youth activity. Now, had we known that he was as, as young as he was, it just it, there were a lot of people getting on the bus. I think he got on the bus too. It just, it just kind of slipped through the cracks, and we, did, we weren't quite ready for it. Well, this little dude, for his part, had never seen anything like a youth activity in his life. I mean, he was all about some youth activity. You could run, you could play games, you could, oh man, he just thought that was great. And then, and then when the games were all done, everybody was brought into the fellowship hall. Today it's the auditorium. Everybody was brought into that building and there was food. And for that little dude, I don't know that he'd ever seen so much food in his life that he had free access to. Because after everyone had gone through the line, an announcement was given, you can come back for more pizza. You do understand it's a Baptist distinctive that you have to have pizza at a youth activity. You do understand that, right? 
I don't know where it's written. Maybe it's in the, in the Aramaic somewhere in the book of Ezra. But at any rate, that's, that, that is a, a Baptist distinctive. And so, that, I mean, there were boxes of pizza. And that little guy, I don't know what he was thinking, but he must have thought, wow. And now I can go back for more. And he did. And yet there was more. I mean, it was the 5,000 revisited, you know, feeding of the five. As far as he was concerned, all the teenagers, ah, yeah, we've had enough. But not this little dude. I mean, he went back and he got some more. The Lord only knows how many pieces of pizza he ate, okay? And then, as if that weren't good enough, another announcement went out. We have brownies and ice cream available for dessert, this little dude, I, I don't know what he was thinking, but he was all in some brownies and ice cream. I mean, just, and again, God knows how many he had. I don't know. But then just for the sake of his health and just for the sake of his, you know, gut health and all that, he washed it all down with Mountain Dew. Well, I was preaching. I was not preaching on the platform. I was preaching on the floor, just like I'm doing right now. And he sat on the front row. I was preaching a message on the lake of fire, brother love. Not a whole lot of room for joking in that kind of a, as you, as you go through that and, and preach about it, it just, it's, it's not a funny thing. By the way, we don't joke about hell here. That, that's, that's not a laughing matter. And I was preaching, it was a very serious message. And the little guy made it all the way through the preaching. But as heads were bowed and eyes were closed, Vesuvius began to rumble in his little tummy. And sure enough, I'm trying to give an invitation for people between eternal life and eternal death. And once, twice, three times, all over the floor. You remember it, don't you? It was all over the floor. Now, I don't know, I don't know how much you know about that building that is now their office complex, but here there's a, a nice high ceiling. Now, practically, that means lots of air for you and me to breathe. In that building, that day, it was a low, it's a low ceiling today, it was a low ceiling then, which means there ain't a lot of air for us to breathe. I saw adults, okay, adults, to remain nameless, and I get it, because some people, when they smell that kind of thing, they have a problem themselves and uh, they duplicate what they have just smelled, all right? I understand that. But I saw adults go, oh, oh, I got to get out of here. And they were out of there. They were gone. I mean, bam, out the door. We're talking out into the, out into the air of, of Kings Mountain, North Carolina. But everybody couldn't run from it. Somebody, if you will, had to gird on a towel. There were no feet to touch, but was it worse? You be the judge. But you know who I saw do it? I saw a girl named Rachel do it. I saw her get down on her hands and knees. Corral, what was there? Go and find the chemicals to sterilize it, 
and to clean it up. And I'll tell you the passage of Scripture that came to my mind was John chapter 13. I'm not surprised that she is serving with her husband on the mission field today. I'm not surprised by that. Because before it mattered to anybody but God, she had decided, I'm going to take the job that nobody else wants to do. Can I tell you something, young person? As I'm out and about, and as I, I, I love this school, I love this place, I love the training that you're getting. And so when I hear stories like the one that I'm about to tell you, it really, it really bothers me. I was talking to a pastor for whom I was preaching in a different state. And he was telling me, he said, yeah, Brother Paul, I'm looking for a youth man. And I interviewed this man from Ambassador. And he told me in no uncertain terms that uh, he would need so much money. And, and, you know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But then he said that he would only be able to work 30 hours a week. And he said to me, he said, well, that's fine, but what am I going to tell the people that work 50 hours a week to pay your full-time salary? Now, I maybe will give the man the benefit of the doubt. I don't know who he is. I have no idea, and that's fine. Maybe we'll give the man the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he didn't want to neglect his family, but there is a balance to that thing somewhere. And the balance is the ministry is going to be work. Not only is it going to be work, but there are going to be times when you put in 100 hours. And that's not every week. But if it's VBS, you very well may put in that much time. You just, you just might. If it's missions conference, you might have to put in that many hours. Now, you're not going to put it in every week. We understand that. You, you can't do that every week. It'll, it'll, it'll eventually wear you down. But understand something. If our Lord, right before he was going to the cross of Calvary, would stoop down and wash the feet of Simon Peter and Bartholomew and Doubting Thomas and the, and the traitor Judas Iscariot, then surely you and I can rise to the occasion and say, Lord, there's no one else that's going to do this, but I'm, I'm going I'm to step in and do it. Nobody else is going to to do it but I'll do it if need be that's what we're talking about that's the service we're talking about and I'll tell you something you men when you go into your homes you had better be the head of your home you had better you are the head whether you want to be or not so you just better take the leadership but let me tell you taking the leadership sometimes involves doing the job that nobody else wants to do that's just good leadership that's just what it means as a pastor, as a youth pastor, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. You take the leadership that God has given to you. But understand, if our Lord, if part of His leadership was doing the job that nobody else wanted, then sometimes you and I are going to have to do the same thing. And it might mean... might mean cleaning up the vomit from a little dude whose eyes got bigger than his stomach. But I'll tell you this, there's joy in service. I want you to notice one final thing. We've seen the setting here. We've noticed the service. I want you to notice one final thing here in the text. Notice what the Bible says. Beginning in verse 12, the Lord Jesus begins an explanation. So we've seen the setting. We've seen the service. Now let's note the significance. What does it mean when Jesus has come to these people and these disciples and washed their feet? Notice what it says in verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Uh, can I tell you? The answer in Simon Peter's mind was, Ah. Jesus was good at asking questions that if you gave the real obvious surface answer, 
it wasn't probably the right answer. Okay, Jesus is trying to get people to think. So, know you what I have done to you. Uh, you washed my feet. Uh, but I'm guessing there's something more. By the way, our God is good at doing that. One of the greatest studies that you will do as you endeavor to communicate the word of God is to study the questions that God asks of man. There are many of them. All of them seem to be something on the surface when in reality there's often something much deeper as we delve into the story. That's exactly what's going on here. Know ye what I have done to you. Verse 13, ye call me master and Lord and ye say, well, for so I am. Thank God for that. But now, verse 14, if I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Now, that means that if Jesus was willing to take the most menial task, I ought to be able to do the same thing. I would guess that in your dorm right now, there are some jobs that nobody wants to do. I would guess that. I've never, spent, I've never spent any time in a girl's dormitory. So all, all I can speak of is the guy's dormitory side of things. But there are some jobs that people want to do and some jobs, oh, this is my job. I wonder what it would be like if we had a contest among the guys or among the girls to say, you know what, this is a job that nobody likes, but I'm willing to serve those around me just to be my, like my Lord. I wonder what it would be like. There's jobs, on, there's jobs in the faculty that are enjoyable. There, the ministry is that way. As a matter of fact, if you're a plumber, things are that way. It doesn't matter where you go in life. It doesn't matter what you do. There are tasks that are, that are enjoyable. There are tasks that are absolutely, absolutely deplorable. But both of them have to be done. And here, just before he goes to Calvary, the Lord Jesus says, I've set you an example. I want you disciples to do as I have done to you. Now notice what he says in verse 16. Notice what it says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. In other words, I indeed am your Lord, but I have served. And the the one that is sent, he's not greater than the one that sent him. But I'm about to send you. We, We call these people apostles. What does it mean? They are sent out by the Lord Jesus. But Jesus said, in spite of all that, I have done the job of a servant for you. And now we're talking about the significance. Look at verse 17. If ye know these things. What things? The things that Christ-like people will be willing to be servants. Those are the things. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Can I tell you, when you serve and when you, when you do it just, just because our Lord did it and since He did it, I'm going to do it. When you begin to serve like that, you're going to find there's joy in service. There's joy in it. We have a society today that is all, all the time focused upon self. Everybody, you know, I, I, I have social media. Whatever's on social media, I like it or I dislike it or I share it or whatever. I understand that. But it's creating a culture in which we are more and more focused upon self. And it's not just people here. It's everybody that's focused on self. Everybody is. 
But you know what? The Lord Jesus right before Calvary wasn't focused on Himself. He was focused on the others. And He says, listen, I want you to understand the way I've served you. If you serve others the way I have served you, there's joy in it. There's happiness in it. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Just a couple verses and we'll be done. Luke chapter 22 and verse 27. Jesus asked the question, Whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat? If I go into the restaurant, and I'm going to be paying for the meal, there is a sense in which I have a greater status than the waiter. Because if I don't come in, the waiter doesn't get paid. If there are no patrons in the restaurant, then the waiter is of no use. He doesn't get paid. Now, it's a different, it's a different setting here. The waiter is not the, he's not the servant, but we do call him the server in our culture. So whoever sits down at meat, they're the most important. And Jesus said, the one, the one that sits down at meat, he is the most important. So you would think that Jesus would say, I am that's the one who sits down at meat. But that's not what he said. He said, I am among you. As he that serveth. As he that serveth. I love this verse in Romans chapter 15. This is amazing to me. Just a phrase. Romans 15 and verse 3. For even Christ pleased not himself. If anybody had a right to please himself while he was on this earth, it's Jesus Christ. He is before all things and by him all things consist. Uh, the Bible says, uh, he, he, without him was not anything made that was made. It was he that commanded and it stood fast. It was he that spake and it was done. We understand that about our Lord. We understand that one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. We understand that. We understand that, uh, that uh, one day at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We understand that. All of that is true. All of that is necessary. And yet the Lord said, uh, the, the Apostle Paul said to the Lord, even Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of all, he didn't please himself while he was on this earth. Now I'm going to tell you, there are times there are times when you're going to have to be like our Lord. You're going to have to set aside everything that you're doing. And you're going to have to spend some time to serve other people. Young people, I want to ask you this morning. Are you known for being a servant of others? Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. It's a powerful story. And Lord, I pray that as we get training here in this place, and as we go out from this place, that we would never be the kind of person who is so absorbed in our own interests that we forget to serve others. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.